You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Perspectives in Palliative Medicine, produced in cooperation with AAHPM, the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine. Your host is Dr. Porter Story, Executive Vice President of the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine, and sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, a leader in pain management. For our seriously ill patients, what options do we have in the treatment, and can palliative care make a difference? Joining me to discuss palliative care and its role in treatment of the seriously ill is Dr. Russell Portnoy, Chairman of the Department of Pain Medicine and Palliative Care and the Gerald J. and Dorothy R. Friedman Chair in Pain Medicine and Palliative Care at the Beth Israel Medical Center in New York. Dr. Portnoy, welcome to the program. Thank you. Can you simply define palliative care for us? What's your working definition? Well, there's been a lot of effort during the past decade to create a definition that would be widely understood, especially by those of us who are interested in trying to operationalize palliative care in the United States. I think a good working definition would be one that says that palliative care is an interdisciplinary therapeutic model which focuses on the care of patients with all types of serious and life-threatening illnesses and is dedicated to trying to maintain the quality of life, uh, reduce the burden of illness, limit the suffering of both the patient and the family, and assist them in coping and adapting to the serious illness. That's helpful and broad. Are there key domains, goals, objectives that you'd include in the model of palliative care? Yeah, so several years ago, a large national group got together and created what's been called the Consensus Project on Best Practices in Palliative Care, and the information in that document has now been picked up by the National Quality Forum in creating a national framework for best practices in palliative care. And we now agree that there are a number of key domains that have to be addressed in trying to provide good palliative care to patients and their families. These domains include concern about the physical well-being of the patient, the psychological well-being, the social well-being, and the spiritual well-being of the patient and the family, concern about the legal and ethical considerations involved in taking care of patients, concern about culturally appropriate care. There has to be a recognition that the healthcare system is complicated and there have to be structures and processes of care that allow the system to coordinate care across venues. And so all of these domains have to be addressed. Now, it's important to understand how that gets operationalized in the care of patients. Palliative care involves expert symptom control. It involves doing an assessment of the psychological, psychosocial, and spiritual needs of the patient. It involves coordinating the care across a hospital, a nursing home, a home, a hospice agency to make sure that care has continuity and that these needs continue to be met along the way. A very important goal of palliative care is to address the specific challenges that occur in the setting of far advanced illness when death is viewed to be imminent. The catchphrase for that is the care of the imminently dying patient. That tends to be the focus of specialists in palliative care, although we, we are certainly concerned about all of these domains and we recognize that palliative care as a model of care actually begins with diagnosis and extends through whatever happens to the patient and if the patient should die beyond the death of the patient and the care of the family during the bereavement phase. 
But having that recognition doesn't change the fact that for palliative care specialists, most of the action takes place with patients who have advanced illness, and we're very concerned about the care of the imminently dying patient. Say more about the difference between specialist-level palliative care and generalist-level care. This is a very important issue, and I think the United States, among the countries of the world trying to address palliative care concerns of an aging population is doing this right. In the United States, as you know, we have a healthcare system in which patients access generalist care, usually through primary care providers, most often a physician. But they have access, hopefully, to specialists when they have complicated problems that need to be addressed with specialist competencies. So if you have a heart problem, for example, your general internist or your family physician should be able to manage most of these problems until the problem becomes complicated or you develop symptoms that are difficult to control, and then you might get referred to a cardiologist. Mm -hmm. In the United States, the model that we are trying to promote is that generalist-level palliative care should be implemented by all practitioners, physicians, nurses, social workers, pastoral care providers, all practitioners who are treating patients with serious or life-threatening illnesses should have palliative care on the radar screen to try to provide help with symptom control and psychological distress, concerns about continuity of care, instrumental help at home. All of those issues have to be addressed from the time of diagnosis by the generalists who are working to try to manage the patient's primary disease process. However, when the challenges get very complicated, and this could happen at any point in the course of the disease, but typically happens when the disease is advanced, when the challenges get complicated, that patient should be able to access a specialist team. Specialist-level palliative care is always accomplished by an interdisciplinary team with core services, including a physician, a nurse, a social worker, and a pastoral care provider. And the specialist team has specialist competencies, so patients who have difficult-to-control symptoms or patients who are in the phase close to death when the complex needs for support of the patient and support of the family may be very prominent. Those patients need specialist competencies provided by the specialist team. So the ideal situation in the United States is that the specific domains that fall under this general concept of palliative care should be considered as important by all the practitioners taking care of patients who have serious illnesses, and there should be an effort along the way to address these needs to try to sustain quality of life and reduce the burden of illness and help with coping and adaptation. But patients who have problems that are beyond the ability of the generalist to manage, those patients should have access to a specialist team, a palliative care team, whether it's in the hospital, the nursing home, or home, and those skills that the specialist team brings to the patient should be able to handle a much more complex level of problem. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Perspectives in Palliative Medicine on ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Porter Story, and joining me is Dr. Russell Portnoy as we discuss palliative care for the seriously ill. What's the status of specialist palliative care in the United States? Well, for almost 25 years, we've had a very large and robust hospice industry in the United States. More than 4,000 hospice agencies are serving more than 1.2 million people per year. So hospice provides the option or the opportunity to access specialist level care at the end of life. 
So most patients who access hospice do so under one of the government benefit programs that funds hospice, either Medicare or Medicaid, and there are very specific rules about eligibility. So hospice provides one access to specialist level palliative care, but it's relatively limited because of the eligibility rules and frankly also because hospice has been stigmatized in the United States so that referrals tend to be quite late and many patients don't access hospice as early as they might get those services. In the last 15 years or so, there has been a very rapid growth of hospital-based and nursing home-based palliative care consultation teams. More than 50% of the hospitals of greater than 50 beds in the United States now have some kind of palliative care team. Uh, This is really just a remarkable change in a short period of time. So a palliative care consult team in the hospital is another way that a patient or family should be able to access specialist-level care. In the United States, we have a long way to go still. We have many hospitals, nursing homes that don't have access to specialists. And we also have a system of care that makes it hard for patients who are not yet hospice eligible or don't want hospice services to access specialist-level palliative care when they're in the home environment. Now, when would you refer a patient to hospice? Hospice is defined by a set of eligibility criteria, which are regulated and mandated in the federal regulations. And so these criteria are often not well appreciated by physicians and others who don't have a detailed understanding of the hospice regs. And so for that reason, we encourage physicians and others who are taking care of patients with advanced illness to have a low threshold to ask for a consultation with the question, is this person hospice eligible? If the physician taking care of a patient understands that hospice is a home care program primarily that's designed to provide comprehensive services, including access to a physician, a nurse, a social worker, a pastoral care provider, and others, access to some home health aid time at home, access to durable medical equipment, medical supplies, and medications all supported by the benefit as long as they relate to the disease that is life-threatening. If they understand that there's this comprehensive group of services provided by the benefit, then the hope would be that they would ask a question about eligibility early. Mm-hmm. Now, it's true that most hospice programs are unable to provide disease-modifying therapies, at least to some extent. Many hospice programs, for example, will provide radiation therapy to patients who have cancer for the purpose of pain control. But very, very few hospice programs will provide chemotherapy, even if the chemotherapy is clearly palliative. Another important element here is that the individuals who may be referring to hospice ideally should have some idea about what that individual hospice's scope of practice is so that they can refer patients in a way that doesn't lead to a large number of patients not being admitted to the program because of the kinds of care that they require. And this, again, is very complicated, and I think all of us who do this for a living have to be sympathetic to the confusion out there. Some hospice programs provide very little in the way of disease-modifying therapy. Some hospice programs provide quite sophisticated disease-modifying therapy as long as it doesn't prolong the patient's anticipated survival beyond what the regulations say. So we really have to ask the question, what does your hospice provide? What kind of patient is eligible? Now, I should take a step back and make one point I think that many providers know, and that is that the eligibility requirements of the federal 
benefit for a hospice mandate that two physicians attest to the view that the patient's life expectancy will be six months or less if the disease runs its expected course. And that, I think, most physicians, in any case, understand to some extent. But that six-month number should not be misunderstood or overinterpreted. Hospice doesn't end at six months. If patients live beyond six months, the benefit doesn't have to be withdrawn. The services don't have to be taken away. There's no way of really accurately predicting prognosis, and so the benefit requirement is that the physicians make their best judgment, you know, looking at the medical information critically and making a judgment about their own perception concerning life expectancy. If a yeah. patient does not die from the illness in a six-month time frame, but is clearly continuing to decline, that patient remains eligible for the benefit, and that can go on for as long as it needs to go on. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Russell Portnoy, for helping us better understand the role of hospice and palliative care in the treatment of our seriously ill patients. Dr. Portnoy, thank you for your time today. Thank you. You've been listening to Perspectives in Palliative Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals, with your host, Dr. Porter Story. To download this program, please visit www.reachmd.com or on ReachMD's free ReachMD Medical Radio iPhone app. Perspectives in Palliative Medicine is produced in cooperation with AAHPM, the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine, and sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, leaders in the field of pain management and developers of a new educational initiative to improve the diagnosis and treatment of pain, pain balance. The King Pain Balance Educational Initiative includes a unique comprehensive website, www.painbalance.org, that offers a broad range of information and tools to help healthcare professionals and others better understand all aspects of pain, which by its very nature is difficult to assess, treat, and manage. Pain Balance offers the first convenient centralized online location for the resources and clinical tools healthcare professionals need to make informed decisions and provide the best possible care for their patients with chronic pain. The website, www.painbalance.org, also includes a narrative scenarios feature, which provides a case-based walk-through navigation tool to highlight the full scope of the website's resources, including pain categories and guidelines, treatment options, and risk management tips, and clinician tools and resources. Also, an online newsletter will help keep healthcare professionals at the front of the latest research, advances in treatment, issues on the policy and reimbursement fronts and other important news in the field of pain management. To learn more about the King Pharmaceuticals Pain Balance Educational Initiative, the high burden of undertreated chronic pain, and to preview the tools and resources available to healthcare professionals and others, visit www.painbalance.org.